if the world hates you, know that the world will hate you. It hated me before it hated you, and God chose you out of this hate-filled world. And then he goes on to say in 20, Remember that the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus shows us the logic of hate. For you logicians in the body, this is the classic modus ponens argument from inference. If P then Q, P therefore Q, the world hated Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus, ergo, the world hates you. And we're going to suffer for that. We're in enemy ground. We're on hostile territory. The world hated Jesus. The world hated Augustine. The world hated Luther. The world hated Calvin. The world hated Jim Elliot, who goes to share the good news to the Aka Indians. And he died. The world hated C.T. Studd. The world hated And you could go on and on and on. Of all these martyrs and missionaries throughout all Christian history, the world hates the good news. We're in enemy ground. We're on hostile territory. I just saw a movie last night that gives me the utmost respect for those who have served in our armed forces because they go in... They, they, it's, it's, it's a picture of what we are. That's why we're called, uh, in Timothy, he calls us soldiers, not entangled with civilian affairs. We're called to something bigger. And the guy said on his mic, we're coming out, this extract is hot. What he's saying is there are people after us. And that is exactly what Jesus says here. If they hated me, they will hate you. You follow me, they hate you. They hate us. They may not articulate it like that. We live in a, a um, world that is um, bought into a false view of tolerance. They've re-wit- rewritten the word tolerant to mean what it should not mean. So no one will ever come right out. Well, some do. And I, I really like to engage with people who say they, 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 maybe they don't say they hate me, but they said, oh God, he's just a joke. Come on. I invited an atheist to uh, church next week, April Fool's Day. And he said, are you kidding? Is this a joke? But he hates me. He would not say that he loves me, but he hates me. He hates what I stand for. He hates what you stand for. They hate us. They won't articulate it like that, but they do not love us. They are not wanting to sacrifice themselves and commit to what we're committed to and live for something bigger than themselves. They hate us. And just as I read in the book Radical, as long as Christianity looks like the American dream, we're going to have few problems with the world. So maybe they don't hate us because we look more like the world than we do like Jesus. But, but Jesus said they hate you and they're going to persecute you. And you know what Paul said about this? Paul said that when we're persecuted, we're to consider it a gift of God. Philippians 1, you don't need to turn there. Just listen to what Paul said in Philippians 1, verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. It has been granted to you. It has been given. It is a gift of God to us to suffer. Wow. 
Welcome to Eagle Bible Church. We're glad you're here. Paul said to Timothy, it's a guarantee. Those who desire to live in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The world hates us. They may not say that, but they hate us. But there's a reason they hate us. Verse 21 of John 15, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they did not know him who sent me. If they had not, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they've been, now they've seen and hated both me and my father but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. He's quoting uh, Psalm 35:19 or 69:4. There, the hate-filled world is guilty of rejecting Jesus. They're guilty two ways. Number one, by their very nature. We saw that in Ephesians 2, or you heard that. But even the Jews in their own law, Psalm 51.5 says, in sin was I was brought forth in iniquity. So by nature, people are sinners. But what Jesus is alluding to here is that the Jews had an even more responsibility because their Messiah showed up on the scene to deliver them from their greatest enemy, namely themselves, and they rejected him. So 22, when it says, if I had not spoken to them, they would have not been guilty, doesn't mean they're not guilty of sin because in their own law, they understood by nature they were brought forth iniquity. I think the Net Bible says it best. Jesus was not saying that if he had not come and spoken to these people, they would be sinless. Rather, he was saying that if he had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of the sin of rejecting him and and the father he came to reveal. Rejecting Jesus, and they did it face to face. They said, we will not follow this man. He is of his father, the devil. But he says, whoever hates me hates my father. You can't can't love Jesus and not love God. You can't hate Jesus and not hate God. And Jesus wants us to know that this is the world we live in, a Christ-rejecting, God-hating culture. That's where we live. But he wants us to go and learn about these cultures. He doesn't want us to be surprised. It's what Peter said. Why are you surprised? Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial which comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's almost if Peter is looking back to John 15 and saying, you remember what Jesus said? But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted, so when we get insulted, Peter's equating that with suffering. We don't suffer like those who are in other countries who who suffer atrocities. But when we're assaulted for the name of Christ, Peter says, be blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests on you. But then he goes on and says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or evildoer or meddler. So what Jesus is saying there, there is a proper way to suffer in this hate-filled culture. We shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't have spiritual BO, right? We should be loving and kind. We shouldn't be uh, speaking the gospel, but living the opposite of it. But we should be students of culture. We should know the culture around us. We should know what they like and don't like. We should know where they like to go, what gets them excited. Parades are what get people excited around here. So I'm going to go to the parades. 
they do throw candy to my children, but I get to rub shoulders with people I'd never rub shoulders with. They, people like to drink coffee, so I'm going to go put myself in a Christ-rejecting, God-hating coffee shop and sit there and learn and engage. And then people are going to come in and go, as they did this last week, oh, yeah, you're a pastor. And then they kind of back away from the table as if I'm going to zap them with something. I'm like, hey, I'd love to talk to you about this. Well, you know, I'm just so evil. And I said, aren't we all? His eyes just, I'm sorry. I said, aren't we all? So now I've got an end with this guy because he's now wondering, what, what's he talking about? thought he was a pastor. Oh, we're all evil in need of God's grace. That is the world that hates us. Jesus said they were going to hate us. He wants us to know. It's really interesting to me. Christ in this section talks about knowledge of over and over again. I want you to know that the world's going to hate you. The world's going to hate you. I want you to know this. And he'll tell us why here in just a minute. That is the place in which we live, a Christ-rejecting, God-hating culture. They may not articulate it like that, but that is it. You bring up Jesus. You can talk about God all you want, by the way, today's culture. God this, God that. But you say, you know, Jesus, Easter's coming, and he died on the cross for your sins. You're going to get a timeout. No. I mean, and then you get all the smoke screens. How could a God be so loving? And, and you're going to get everything but dealing with that person's heart and Jesus Christ. That's the world in which we live. But there's a power we have, John 15, 26. But when the helper comes, <coughs> whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, <coughs> who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit comes from God. John 14, 26 says God sends him. And here in in this passage, Jesus sends him in his name. The Holy Spirit speaks the truth of Christ, not only to the world. John 16 says um, he comes to convict the world of sin and comfort our hearts. Thank you. And here he's given to us. Jesus said just earlier, it's better for me to go, me, the Savior of the world, I'm going to go and I'm going to be at the right hand of God the Father, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who's going to live within you and he is going to give you the power to live the Christian life. Christ sent the third person of the Trinity to bear witness to Jesus, not only to the world, but in our own hearts. And we go by the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish what he commands. And you will also... Just as the Holy Spirit does, you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I think we have Acts six, Acts 1, 6 through 8 uh, to look at. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will it be at this time that you restore the kingdom of Israel? They were wondering, is this, is this when you're going to establish the kingdom? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times and seasons that the Father is fixed with his own authority, but here's the key verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. That's very, very important that Acts 1.8 is really the verse I want to land on. Because it says our power comes to witness to the gospel comes from Jesus Christ. This again goes back to the idea that what God commands us to do, be a witness for him, God enables us to do, i.e. the Holy Spirit works within us. He gets all the glory, we get all the joy. 
but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. Now look where it goes. They're in Jerusalem and then all Judea and Samaria and then the uttermost parts of the earth. I'll just want to give you a big principle that you may not hold to, but you should. Every single person in here who knows the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a missionary. You are a missionary. Think like a missionary. Start living your life like a missionary. Oh, well, the missionaries, they go over there and they're so focused on, so are you. It says in Jerusalem, let's put it in real time, in eagle. Hold a few more circles. In eagle, in the eagle valley. Isn't that right? It's the eagle valley. It's not the veil valley, right? Eagle valley. I'm a local. Eagle, Eagle Valley, Colorado, United States, ends of the world. Everybody in here is a missionary. Everybody should live like a missionary. He wants us to take this good news to a hate-filled world. We're all missionaries, every single one of us. We don't just support missionaries. If you've heard me say it, I talk about overseas missionaries or stateside missionaries so that we phrase it right. Missionaries are every person in this room who knows the Lord Jesus Christ, period. It is not just somebody who goes over there because we kind of set them up and they're doing the work of, no, we're all doing the work. We're all missionaries. Some have been called to go to crazy places and we praise God for them. Some of you may be called to go to a crazy place and we want to support you in getting there. But we're all missionaries. That wasn't even in the script. But we get the power of the Spirit to allow us to preach the gospel. Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, so he says, you're dead in your trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy saved you by grace alone through faith alone. And we can't forget verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for beforehand that we should walk in them. That still baffles me. There are good works that I just need to walk in. They're already been prepared. It's a done deal. So Jesus wants us to witness to him in a hate-filled world. We love the world when we do this, right? We love the world because they hate God. We want to take them the good news so that they'll become God lovers and Christ acceptors. And the most loving thing that we can do, abide in Christ, love one another, reach the world. The most loving thing that we can do is tell somebody, you've put your stock in the wrong place. You're putting all your eggs in a basket that will explode. You will not get to keep those eggs. It's almost Easter, right? You're putting your eggs in the wrong basket. Authority, power, control, comfort, money, sex, power, success, achievement, etc. You're putting your faith in that or to those who reject God. You're putting your faith in science. You're putting your faith in logic. You're putting your faith in whatever else instead of coming to realize when you're impatient, that's a sin against God as well as it is your wife. And so we must show them that. 
We must be rubbing shoulders with the Christ-rejecting, God-hating people because this is how we truly love them. But this can be hard, and Jesus knows that, and that's why we trickle into chapter 16. Notice at the end of uh, the first section in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you. In 17, these things I have commanded you. In 16:1, he said, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Jesus knows he, Jesus believes that knowing this will help us stay the course. He says it again in verse four, but I have said these things so that, said these things to you so that when, you, the, when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. And he says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think they're offering service to God. And if that doesn't fit the Islam culture Nothing else does. They think they're doing service to God. That's the extreme cases. But others do it. They do it subtly. Oh, don't all roads lead to God? I mean, how can you be so arrogant and narrow-minded? Isn't God bigger than all that? And aren't these all religions just different manifestations? It sounds so good. But it's so off. Shouldn't we just tolerate one another? You don't even know what the word tolerate means. It means that we hold differing views and we can actually engage with life together. Not that I have to accept your view as the truth. It happens subtly through philosophy. It happens with snowballs. I had to go all the way to Virginia to get this illustration. I was teaching at a men's retreat and a guy goes, yeah, I was up in Breckenridge one year and they did this, they had this snow god parade. Okay, so the church in Breckenridge thought, we'll put a float in there, creator God, this is where snow comes from, going down in Frisco, Main Street, and what do people want to do? Oh, you guys are right. God created the world, he gives us the snow, we should worship him. Thank God for allowing us to ski and live in the mountains. No, they put snowballs together and they pelted the church float in the name of their snow god. True story. (laughs) Yeah, it is funny. Jesus wants us to persevere. He, he, He understood life is like an Iron Man. It's going to be long. You cross that line and you're going. And you can't quit. For all true believers, there's no such thing as a does not finish. Catch that. For all true believers, there's no such thing as it does not finish. But he knows it's going to be hard. So he tells us the place in which we live, the power in which we have, and the perseverance that we need. We've got to make it to the end. That's that section. Now I want to hit kind of a summary of the chapter. That's what you have in your handout. On mission, radical and eagle and beyond for the glory of God. So we don't want to become uh, centered just on our city, our town, actually. It's the town of Eagle. But we want to start there and move out. When you see our mission, we exist to bring glory to God and good to the world as followers of Christ committed to a church engaged in culture. You see the text of John 15 and you see the outline there. And you see a summary statement of that particular chapter, a cross-centered life 
displays and declares and add, I want you to add something to it and defends the gospel. Displayed, it's what you do with your life. It's, it's how you live. It's what people see. Does what Judd says match how Judd lives and declares we have to speak. No such thing as not speaking the good news. News is to be spoken. Well, I share the good news all the times and sometimes I use word. That's just wrong. That's biblically wrong. Paul says, how will they call upon Jesus unless they hear? And how will they hear unless somebody is sent? He doesn't say they will call upon Jesus if they just observe your life. We display it with our life, but we declare the good news. There is a God and you are not him. You're full of sin. That's what's wrong with your life. Jesus came to not only save you from that sin, but empower you to live life and you'll get to be with him forever. And you accept that by faith alone, through grace alone, no works. There's the good news. And then that's when you add defend the gospel because they're going to come back. Because they're a hostile world, but we are a loving community. We're dependent on Christ. We're delighted in Christ. We've been through that, so I won't go over it. But if you were to look on the next page, you see a summary. A summary of what we're talking about. And so I've given you the chapter broken down and a sentence across the top that we see God's glory through people bearing fruit for maximum impact, that it's the exaltation of God as we edify believers and we do evangelism, that each of us individually finds our identity in Christ, that we are a community of believers, and that we go into our society with the good news, that we're grounded theologically, we're growing in community, and we're giving in ministry. And if we have a highly potent life in our own life, and we're close to our friends and neighbors who love Jesus and also close to our friends and neighbors who hate Jesus and we clearly communicate, we will have maximum impact. But what happens if you get these out of order or you overemphasize one or the other? Well, if you're grounded, uh, excuse me, if you're growing in community and giving in ministry, but you have no theology, that is social liberalism. Call it what you want. But if you love one another, open hearts, open minds, Uh, My wife went to a church, that's their mantra, open building, open hearts, open mind, open whatever. All things count. We're all going to the same place. Let's just do meals on wheels and call it a day. You're just social liberals. You're the Peace Corps. If you have one and two, but if you're grounded theologically and you're growing in community, but you're not going out, you're just conservative fundamentals. You're in your little holy bubble, holy huddle can't get outside. You could become separatists. If you are grounded theologically, but you skip the church and you just go to community, that's a parachurch individualism. I love the parachurch. I know we have people here who are serving in the parachurch, not opposed to the parachurch, but they come alongside the church, para, alongside church. And so they should be pointing people to the church. On this rock, Peter's confession, he will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, the church. The gates of hell may, pre- may prevail against Campers Crusade for Christ. They might do that. They, they might take down Fellowship of Christian Athletes or uh, Athletes in Action or you name it, Evangelism Explosion, but he's never ever going to take down the church. That's why I'm very serious about the church. But if you have a person who's grounded theologically, growing in community, 
in giving and ministry, you have biblical discipleship, an individual committed to a church engaged in culture on mission for God. And so there you see the great, what I call the great big picture as a local church. And we've further given, for those of you who are in need of pictures, we've further given pictures of not only do we follow Christ, commit to a church and go to culture, but we think individually each person should worship Jesus in their daily life, read the word. They should fellowship with one another and go to the world. Those are what those pictures are. We'll talk about more of that in the future. But if you follow this, and colors mean things, don't they, Jason? They mean things. And so you see devotion and instruction is blue, that individually as a follower of Christ, you should be devoted to Jesus and reading his word, learning from it. And as a follower, you should be in fellowship and showing compassion to others and individually going to the world. But then you go to the church and we come together and we sing and I preach and people teach and we meet together in small groups and as a big church, that's orange. But then we don't stop there. An individual is on mission. A church is making impact and we show them good works with the good news. We're good neighbors. We're good missionaries. And if you take that and you turn it up like this, it's kind of like a flame. There it is. It's blue, a little darker. And that way, beloved, will be lights to the world. An individual in community going to society. That's my summary of the chapter. Now I want to tell you, I thought of it long and hard about this. Should I do it? And I'm doing it. I want to give you my personal applications on this because this is a this is a vision doesn't mean I've reached it. And so what I want to share with you are struggles and successes in each one of those three areas and then I want to exhort you in your own life and we'll be done. Uh number 1, when it comes to abiding in Christ, uh my struggle quite honestly it's just being consistent in my daily worship of Jesus. Oh, sure, it can be good for a time, but does it leak out into everything I do? And I'm I really, so when you hear me say, are, are you doing all things for the glory of God? Are you running for the glory of God? I'm not just saying that and throwing it out there. I'm basically asking my, that self, myself that question. Am I doing everything? Do I view life like a missionary? Am I living for the glory of God? And so I need to be consistent in my prayer life. I need to be consistent in seeing in my own life how everything fits together for Jesus. Successes, quite frankly, since I've got here, when I moved here, I'll just tell you, I had an idol in my heart. It was called senior pastor. And I really don't care anymore. My identity is solely found in Jesus Christ. And it took, it's taken three years to get and go through long struggles just to go, you know what? I'm better for this church because I am more identified with Jesus Christ. I don't have to be a pastor. I want to be a pastor. I don't have to. I came here thinking I had to. It was really a perverted idol. And everybody in this room has idols. You need to just start finding out what, what are your idols. Mine was to name it I'm going to be a senior pastor and therefore God is more in love with me and that's just not true. Now, loving one another. 
struggles. I'm an impatient person. You've heard me say it before. I did it last night and I had to confess my sin to my wife and I had to do it to another lady and I have to do it to another guy. I'm just impatient. I'm absolutely impatient. That's my struggle. It stinks. It's God's world, not mine. And I want things done on a certain, like it's just, it's clockwork. I'm impatient. And love is, what's the very first one? So when I'm impatient, what does that mean? Logically speaking, according to Paul, I'm unloving. Just call it like that. So do the list. Put your name in there. Judd is patient. Judd is kind. When you hit one, ooh, Judd is not easily offended. Or it could be um, blank person, not easily offended. Ooh, then I'm not a loving person if I'm easily offended. And my successes, by God's grace and through the power of the Spirit and reading books on counseling, he's given me discernment. I'll be honest. And it's scary. You don't want to read books like by Paul Tripp and David Pallison because once you read them or anything by Tim Keller, then you start to identify the idols in your heart and then you can't play games. Well, you can play games with yourself, but you're just, that's what you're doing. You can't ignore it. You're like, ooh, yeah, you're, you're, a, you're rude as pride and you want to control and therefore you're impatient. I mean, it just grows out of there. But he's given me the discernment, not only in my own life, but in your lives as well. You give me the facts, I can point you to the scriptures. And it's not always a pleasant thing, even when I battle myself. Bearing witness to the world, struggle, just inconsistency. I have no fear of talking to anybody about Jesus whatsoever. It's just inconsistent. I get caught up and I'm doing all these things and focused on, oh, I've got to do this. The Lord is so good the minute you start taking strides to do that. I prayed, Lord, I'm going into Yetis today. I wanna, I'm, I'm just going to be bold in light of what I'm reading and the convictions. I'm going to go in there and, man, low-hanging fruit. So, I'm evil. Aren't we all? Let's just talk about Jesus. Got his card and we've set up a meeting. We're talking. Successes by God's grace and for God's glory. Um, according to 1 Timothy 3, 7, um, in witnessing to the world, people have seen changes. Not only my friends from high school who saw me as a drunken wretch, and they go, he's a pastor? <laughs> Testimony to Jesus. But even here, well thought of by outsiders. One of the greatest um, encouragements I got the other day was a friend of ours who lives up Valley, knows one of the baristas in Yetis, and they were the baristas were telling this guy just how... Um, well, I don't know, just how my lifestyle was evident even in the coffee shop. And they're like, really? They're always watching. They're always watching. So by God's grace and for God's glory, that's what we're doing. Now we come to my pastoral exhortation. Find somebody in this body you trust. Share with them your struggles and your successes. Nobody in here has it all together. Right? Let's just get that lie out of the way, quit. let's just quit coming with a happy face and hiding if we're doing that. Believe me, I don't have it all together and honestly, having been here for three years, neither do you. And I say that with all love. Let's get ourselves together to give ourselves away for something bigger than ourselves. I go back to those verses in Hebrews. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we're surrounded by them now. Right? 
let us each individually lay aside every weight. You don't see, you don't, you didn't watch the video of those guys swimming. They don't have backpacks on. They're not like in their boots. They have laid aside everything. I mean, it comes down to the day. Like I want to get a road bike and I know with the road bike, I have to get the uniform. It's just all part of it. Yeah, you do. You can't, you can't ride a road bike. You got to wear the uniform. It's just, it's part of it. It's, but it works. It's laying aside. It, it basically is enough to cover so that you can be focused. Laying aside every weight and the sins that cling so easily. Let us run with endurance. The race set before us. Every single person in this room is running an individual race. You cannot get to heaven on, on Bud's coattails. Sorry. He's going to heaven by grace alone, through his faith alone. You can't just, can't get to go next to the Byrons and go, well, they love and can it be? And I'm just sitting next, no, it's individually. Run your race, but you are never meant to run your race alone. Run it together. That's why we have community groups. If you're not in a community group, get in a community group. That's all I'm going to say. That's where it happens. And there are obviously prideful community groups and there's humble community groups. Inside joke, right? Joke. They're all humble and wonderful. Run your race with others. You can't run this Christian life on your own. And it's not in pseudo community too, but you've got to get in there and it's got to be, sometimes it's messy and people say the wrong things and we don't treat each other well, but you know what? That's life. That's life. It's not all... uh, I forget what that school called, cotillion or something, where you just prim and proper, everybody's got everything on, and white gloves, fork, knife. It's messy. The napkin's got stuff on it. You spill. It's life. Run your race with others, and then as you're running with others, get as many people. I'm not making an appeal for everybody to be a triathlete, but in light of the video... Man, you got to do this. This is great. You get to run, bike, swim. But you call out those who aren't in the race, join us. And finally, as you're going, you've you got to finish the race. Finish the race. All true believers will never have a DNF. Finish the race with as many people as possible. Father, we cannot go to Papua New Guinea or India or Africa. We cannot do anything overseas if we're not doing it right here. And so I pray that all of us would be doing what you've called us to do, to abide in Christ, to love one another and reach the world right here. Help us, enable us, give us the recognition that we have the power in the Holy Spirit to be radical in eagle and then we'll move wherever you take us. I pray that we would wrestle in our own lives with what we struggle with, whether we read too little, whether we pray little, whether we're in isolation, even though we could be in a group. I pray that we would truly love one another, and I pray that you would give us a supernatural boldness and the courage, no matter what happens, to share the good news with a dying world of God-hating, Christ-rejecting people. We
We need you. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray.